there was 145 in Ohio, and we had left the church service we were at, and we were at Costco picking up some things for a gathering we were going to. So 1045 here, I, I thought, hey, let's uh, just check out the, the Zoom service, see how it's going. You know what was going on at 1045? It's over. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's standing up. Bill, he, he has a gift at that. He keeps it short and sweet and poignant and powerful. But I, I told Bill, we can't let you all get spoiled with that. We're not going to be that short every week. So, so don't, don't start expecting that. But I'm thankful to him and Daniel for, for sharing the Word of God in the book of 1 Peter. We're going to continue that this morning. Our series is called Stand Firm. And the image we chose on our Facebook page for this series was that of a lighthouse with the light shining brightly but the waves were crashing against it. And we thought, what a great picture of what the church needs to be today. And, and that's what Peter was writing the church in his day to do, to stand firm, though the waves of this world crash against you. And we're going to continue in with that today. As we flew, I thought it was funny. Our, our three-year-old son, Luke, we were talking about flying, and, and I asked him, I said, hey, uh, do you think I should try to ride on top of the plane? And he said, no, Daddy. And I said, why? And he said, because you might fall off and bump your knee. <laughs> like, he, he seriously underestimated the, the cost of riding on the top of a plane, right? He was a little naive about the, the cost of riding on top of a plane. But I thought about that, and I thought, man, in our world today, a lot of us, are naive about the costs that come with following Jesus. Maybe we're naive because that's not what people want to hear at church, so a lot of people don't talk about it. Maybe we're naive because we don't want to hear it, even if someone is saying it, but it's in the Bible. There's a cost to following Jesus Christ faithfully. He talked about it in Luke 14, 27. He said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple." For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. What's he saying? He's saying there is a cost to following me faithfully, and it involves you taking up your cross. And you should consider that before you even start following me, so that you know you'll be able in my power to finish to the end. John 15, 18, he said to his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The world hated Jesus. The only perfect man, God in flesh, to ever walk this planet was hated by the world. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And then Paul, Romans 8, 17, he talks about us being children of God if we've come to Christ. He says, if you're children, then you're heirs also. Heirs of God and, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Now I looked at this message and, I, and I'm kind of summing it up as three S's, three S words that we do not want to hear. Okay, and I, I looked at it, I was joking with the elders. I'm like, man, this is another one of those messages I should have farmed out to one of you guys because this is a, <laughs> a hard one. Three S's we don't want to hear, and, and here they are. The, the Christian is called to submit in this world, called to serve God and others, and called to 
suffer. <laughs> Not things we want to hear. And I think if you were to ask the average Christian in America, maybe how, how much does the Bible talk about that? It, maybe, maybe we sometimes wrongly think it's a pretty small theme in there. Maybe we're uh, kind of like what happened with Sam and I a couple weeks ago. Sam, back here, a big truck pulled up outside, and Carolyn said there was someone that wanted to make a, a delivery to the hot tub store, but the hot tub store is closed on Sunday, but we want to be helpful to our landlord, so we asked the guy, how big are the boxes? And he said, small. Small. So Sam and I said, okay, we'll, we'll uh, put them in our suite for a while and give them to him on Sunday. So the guy opened up the truck, and after climbing in there behind a bunch of other stuff, and he opened the lid on the truck, what we came to realize he, he defined small was the, the thickness of it. <laughs> but the length and width was about seven foot by nine foot, and each piece probably weighed about 75 pounds, wouldn't even fit in our door. <laughs> Small. I told him, I'm sorry, we can't help you, man. You said that was small. That's not small. <laughs> and, and I wonder if we think this theme of submitting, serving, and suffering is a small theme in the Bible. Maybe we do, but what we need to do is, is take a new look at the Bible. And, and what you'll find when you do is that it's not small at all. It's actually a consistent theme for those who follow God in this pilgrim world. If, if the book of Ephesians showed our heavenly status in Christ, 1 Peter shows us what the journey through the wilderness to that place in heaven is like. It's a battle. It's a battle. I read something interesting this week. It was a Christian college professor talking about a group of students. He would get together with them often and, and talk about different books of the Bible. And he noticed something interesting that often when he would meet together with those Christians, some were from America and some were from other countries like Nigeria, Korea, other places. And he said, Americans almost never requested the book of 1 Peter to study. You know, we, we gravitate towards Psalms or John, and those, those are God's word too. But he said something interesting. These, these students from Nigeria and Korea where the church is under heavy persecution, he said they want to study 1 Peter. Because they want to know how to stand firm in the middle of what they're facing. And, and that's the, the value of this book. I don't know the level of persecution we're ever going to face in this country. But I do believe we should be prepared. And I want to talk about those three S's. How should we live in this world? Submit. We are called to submit to the authorities that God has established. Serve. We are called to live as servants of God and others. Suffer. We are called to suffering in this world. Now, any one of those is enough to get some of us to check out and say, right? We don't want to hear these, but they're here. Submit. We are called to submit to the authorities God has established. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter 2, 13. He says, be subject... For the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. When he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, some other translations say, submit yourselves to, whether it's the emperor or governors. 
Now some of you say, well, surely if Peter's saying this, that, that emperor must have been a godly Christian. <laughs> no, you know what his name was? Nero. I don't have time to go into all the atrocities he brought against the Christian church. I'll just mention one. He, he lit them on fire covered with pitch to light his own garden. This was not a godly Christian leader. So what's going on here? Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor or governors. Why? The key is in the second phrase, for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. When we are subject to the authorities, it is not primarily for that person who's in that office. It is first and foremost for God. Verse 15, he goes on, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. What was going on in the early church? It may be going on some today. People were making accusations against the people of God. And there were a lot against the early church. Some of them accused them of cannibalism because of the Lord's Supper, eat my flesh and blood. Some of them accused them of incest, of fomenting revolution against the government. Peter says, hey, obey the authorities because when you do that, what's he say? By doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. When they make accusations against you, your lives should say otherwise. Somebody should say, no, I know so-and-so. I, I know Lisa. She goes to that church. She, she does follow the law. I, I know that accusation is not true. Now, does this mean we have to stand by silently when injustice and evil are taking hold in leadership? No, thankfully in our country, we have the privilege and freedom to speak up when those things happen. In fact, Jonathan Edwards, famous for his sinners in the hands of an angry God, university president, he died in 1758. He wrote out six uh, guidelines for Christians to interact with their government. And I'll just share one that he wrote. I'd encourage you to Google the rest. Jonathan Edwards said, Christians should support their governments, but be ready to criticize them when the occasion demands. You see that balance that he talked about? We live in two kingdoms as Christ followers, right? First and foremost, we're citizens of heaven, but we're also citizens in this country, the United States of America. And you know what that does to people watching in? That, that can make us a, a puzzle. It can make us a puzzle to them. It can make them scratch their heads sometimes, right? KB is a Christian rap artist. I like what he said about this puzzle we present to the world. He, he said this. He said, if your wagon is hitched to Jesus, you will inevitably find yourself agreeing, intersecting, and aligning with all kinds of movements and political camps as you travel through this world. But rest assured, at some point, Jesus is going to complicate things and probably get you kicked out. <laughs> there is perhaps only a single place where we are truly at home, and that is with God's people. The fact is, we will never be conservative enough, liberal enough, or woke enough to truly be at home in any of these circles. There's going to be parts about your Jesus that will necessarily lead to tension and maybe even your cancellation. Welcome that, he says. 
He says this makes us the unsung assets of whatever space we find ourselves in because we can speak in and out of those camps with transcendental truths. Truth from above. Our bias is to righteousness. We are nomads in this world. And that very fact makes us powerful forces in the movements we ascribe to. Nomads. I love that. See, we get in trouble when we... We, we set up our cause without consulting God, and then we want to attach God and Jesus to our cause, right? That, that's, that's our common mode of operation. But what I remember about Jesus is he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. You attach yourself to me. And apart from that, you can do no good works. So let's not be trying to attach Jesus to our ideas. Let's attach ourselves to Him and let His life and righteousness and holiness and love and truth flow out of us into our relationships. When we do this, we are going to find ourselves stepping on people's toes, often on both sides of an issue. Not because we want to step on people's toes, but because we believe God's Word. So let me pick a non-controversial subject to illustrate this, like uh, immigration. <laughs> okay, let me show you how the, the, the Christian who follows God's word is going to step on toes on both sides. N- number one, you are going to have a heart of concern for people who are trying to escape places to come to America. You're going to love those people and, and, and want them to find a better life, to get out of the oppression they're under. Okay, You are going to love those people. Why? Even in the Old Testament, God told Israel over and over to love the alien among you because you were aliens in Egypt. What's he saying? Remember what that was like, how hard that was? That's why you love the aliens, okay? So that's going to bother some people that don't want to hear about that because that's uncomfortable. That means we may have to do some stuff. Some people don't want to hear that. But as Christians, we're also going to go back to what Peter said. We, we honor the emperor. We honor the, the lawmakers. And in our country, immigration is to happen legally. And as Christians who honor the emperor, we are going to encourage that as well. If we know a Christian, especially on the other side of the border, who wants to come here, we are going to encourage them to do it legally because we honor the emperor. And that's going to step on people's toes on the other side. Listen, we talked about obeying, honoring the emperor. That does not mean you admire the emperor or your governor. It does not mean you like him. Or her, it does not mean you agree with them on everything. And it does not mean that there's never a time to disobey. There is a time to take a stand. My encouragement would be to the church to save that stand for the moments when it really matters. Peter knew all about this. The guy writing this letter, right? You remember Acts chapter 4 and 5? He and John were out speaking the name of Jesus. Acts 4, verse 18, they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, we can't not talk about this risen Savior. Acts 5, they talked to him again. 28, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here... 
You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. There is a time to take a stand. Save it for when it matters. When you're dealing with something that commands you to do something unbiblical or prohibits you from doing something you know as a Christian you have to do biblically. Now let me make this real. I'll bring up another non-controversial subject, masks. <laughs> In my opinion, masks are not the time to make this stand. Okay? I'll just put it out there. And this is someone who has questions about A, the need, and B, the effectiveness of masks. That's where I'm coming from. But I'll tell you this. If our mayor or our governor or our president makes it a law or a mandate in our country, I'll be the first one wearing one. And I hope you'll follow suit because we are to honor the emperor. Issues like that are not the moment to take our stand. we got to save that stand for moments that matter. One moment like that that mattered more is what happened in California recently. Many of you probably heard of Pastor John MacArthur. He put out a statement that said this, Christ is Lord of all. He is the one true head of the church. He is also King of kings, sovereign over every earthly authority. Grace Community Church has always stood immovably on those biblical principles. As His people, we are subject to His will and commands as revealed in Scripture. Therefore, we cannot and will not acquiesce to a government-imposed moratorium on our weekly congregational worship or other regular corporate gatherings. Compliance would be disobedience to our Lord's clear commands. Now, even among the Christian church, there's discussion on this, okay? Other Christians look and say, hey, they could still meet in smaller groups. California is not telling them not to preach in the name of Jesus or meet at all. They're just saying you can't do it in the large group you are right now. There's discussion about that, but I think all of us could agree an issue like that is more important than an issue like mass to take a stand on. You understand what I'm saying? Save the stand for moments that matter. We are to submit to the authorities God has established. Okay, second one, serve. We are called to live as servants of God. This one rails against the selfishness of our flesh because... Naturally speaking, we want to be served, right? That's the comfort zone. Other people are serving me. When, when it comes to serving other people, that's uncomfortable. And yet we're stuck with this paradigm from a Lord and Savior who washed His disciples' feet and went to a cross on, on our behalf. That, that's our Lord, right? So verse 16, Peter says, Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Many people believe Peter wrote this because some of these early Christians knew their freedom in Christ. And maybe the idea was starting to spread, hey, since we're free in Christ, we'll have to listen to this emperor and these governors. We're, we're above all that. And Peter's saying, hey, live as people who are free, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. But live as servants of God. In other words, don't disobey the laws of the land and say, I'm, I'm free to do that because I'm with Christ. Peter says, uh-uh. Don't use it as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. I like what Martin Luther said. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, servant to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. 
Do you get the balance there? Yes, celebrate your freedom in Christ in the status He puts you in, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, but also follow His footsteps. If you like that side, you better follow the other side too. Become the servant of all. Right? What's this look like in this world? He gives us four bullet points. If you're like me, sometimes you like quick hits. Bam, bam. Just give it to me straight. Here's four things. What it looks like to be a servant of God in this world. Verse 17. Honor everyone. Everyone? That's what it says. Honor everyone. What what does this mean? That every person you ever meet, whether you disagree with them or agree with them politically, spiritually, or otherwise, is created in the image of God. And that must dictate how you treat that individual. Honor everyone. Let me me give you an example. One one political leader that I have some strong spiritual and political disagreements with. Some folks said she looks like a, a cross between Beetlejuice and Frankenstein. Okay? You think that pleases the heart of God? To attack someone's appearance who's created in the image of God? No, it does not. Yes, we can speak about our disagreements, but we must do so in a context that says, I believe you're created in the image of God. And that's where we got to realize, like KB was saying earlier, conservative is not always an exact parallel with Christian, nor is liberal. Before you're a conservative or a liberal, you are a Christian. That dictates how you roll in either of those other camps. Okay? Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. That's the church. People who trust Jesus and walk with Him. This one's important because I see something else that breaks my heart in this world. There are people within the church world that have great love for the lost but appear to have nothing but animosity for the bride of Christ as they speak about the church. That is not biblical either. Christ died for His bride. So while you're busy honoring everyone and loving the lost, make sure you love the church as well. Again, it doesn't mean you never speak to correct it. Sometimes we all need correcting, but love it. Do you love the brotherhood, the sisterhood? Next one. And I'll put the next two together because many believe they go together. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Notice it doesn't say fear the emperor. Jesus' position is there's only one we should fear in this world. It's God, the one who can throw body and soul in hell. He says don't fear men and women who can take your body, bodily life. Only fear God. So as Christians, you don't have to live in a place of fear of any human. You fear God. But underneath that, part of fearing God is honoring that emperor. Don't get the two mixed up. Don't get government and God mixed up. Fear God. Honor your governmental leaders. Okay, so the serve. That was the second one. Now we get to perhaps the the hardest one of them all. We're called to suffering in this world. Verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. He's writing to Christian servants, slaves in the Roman Empire within these churches. And let's read it again. 
Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, a couple of things. We don't have time to go all the way into it because we did it a couple months ago. One question that probably hits your mind, does the Bible condone slavery? I believe the answer is no. We talked about that in depth about two months ago. If you go to our podcast and look up a message by that title, does the Bible condone the slavery it records and and read that. But just briefly, I want to say a few things. Roman slavery had a lot more in common with modern day employment than it did with African American slavery that we knew in this country and the horrors that, that came with that. Roman slavery was not racial, okay? Many people volunteered to be a slave in the empire for stability because it provided more stability than trying to find jobs here and there. Some slaves were doctors, teachers, and more. They, they had professions like that. Many of them were free by the age of 30 and went on to surpass their masters in wealth and power, often having slaves of their own later on. Again, does this mean slavery was ever justified or God's perfect ideal? I'm not saying that. But it was different. But beyond that, the point here, I believe, goes beyond slaves and masters. It, it goes to all of us who are Christians because the Bible says we are slaves of Christ, okay? And as such, all of us will suffer. So we can learn from what he says to these servants. What did he say? Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. A word unjust is interesting. The Greek word is skolios, means crooked. It's where we get the word skoliosis from. Have you ever had a, a crooked boss? Maybe harsh or unfair. That's what he's talking about. Now, you, you be subject to your masters, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Why? Why endure that suffering? Verse 19, he says, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. That's key. I'm doing this not primarily for my boss or me, I'm doing this for God. One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Now, if you're like me, you're like, why is this a gracious thing to God? Is is he some kind of sadist? Does he enjoy seeing us suffer? We'll talk about that more in a bit. He goes on, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. What's he saying there? You get in trouble at work, you need to ask yourself a question. Is it because I'm such a faithful witness to Jesus? Or is it because I show up late, (laughs) do shoddy work, and and cause trouble among the the workforce? Because as Peter's saying, the latter is not praiseworthy. The, The former is. Why is it I'm getting in trouble? And why is it a gracious thing to remain faithful to God and endure sorrows when we suffer? Peter's primary answer is the man he walked this earth with for three years, Jesus. That's his primary answer. Look at verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Why endure? Why stay faithful to God? Why keep obeying? Why not give in to sin when you suffer? Because your master did the same. And he is our example. 
This word example is a cool one in the Greek. Hypogrammon, underwriting. What it, what it was was a child's learning tool. Someone would write out the Greek alphabet underneath and then put a sheet of paper on top and the Greek child would trace those letters. And he's saying, Jesus is your underwriting. You look back at his example as he walked through this world and you trace his steps. How did he deal with injustice and hatred, etc.? He overcame evil with good. Leaving you that example so that you might follow in his steps. And if you grow up in snow country, you go out in that deep snow and you're the little brother, isn't it great when your big brother goes first so you can <laughs> step in those steps and get through? One man said, that's the picture here. Jesus walked this road before us. So as you suffer and endure, follow in his footsteps. He has paved the way. But here's the really powerful thing. He's not only our example. That would be kind of cruel of Peter to say Jesus is our example. Now go try that in your own power, right? <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, if any of you tried to walk with God in your own power, you know what I'm talking about. He's not just our motivation and our example. He gives us the power to do right through what he did. Listen to verse 22 that describes his example and then where it took him. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. That means to heap abuse on someone, which isn't that what we're tempted to do when someone wrongs us? He did not do that. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And here's where the power comes from. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. You say, how can I not retaliate? How can I not revile? How can I not threaten this person that is such a horrible person in my life? Jesus died for your sin and rose again that you might live to righteousness in that situation just like he did. By his wounds you have been healed of those old ways. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I love that last phrase because no matter what you walk through in this world, where the submitting, serving, and suffering takes you, Jesus is there. He's the faithful shepherd with the sheep. He's the overseer walking with you. Now, I want to talk with you briefly about Peter's theology of suffering. And many of you who've been around a while know I love alliteration. So I came up with eight E's. <laughs> Not just three or four, eight. And I, I hope this helps you to, to wrestle with Peter's theology of suffering. We are not called upon to enjoy it. Okay, that's number one. Okay, God and Peter are not sadistic. Okay, so nobody's asking you to enjoy the suffering you're going through. Or encouraged to seek it out. I, this message is not meant to say, all right, now go out there and see how much suffering you can find your way into this week. Okay? Nor is it endorsed as right behavior for those who inflict it. Peter and God are not saying that the people who inflict this suffering are in the right. In fact, he says one day God will deal with that, and that's why we entrust ourselves to Him. Okay? But if we live as strangers in a foreign land, we should expect it. 
Okay, this is hard to hear here in America, but it's what the Bible says. We should expect it. Okay, I, I think if you expect it, whatever extent it comes in your life and whatever form, you're going to be more prepared. If you've been places that don't teach this side of the Bible and it blindsides you, it can, it can knock you off the rails. The Bible says expect it. In this world, you will have trials, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus says. So there's four. When it comes, if you can't escape it, that's number five. Read the ministry of Paul. There were times where he left cities where persecution was happening. You are not always called to stay where it's happening, okay? If you can't escape it, and I'll give three reasons. One, because circumstances won't allow. Because God is leading you to stay. Or because doing so would, would require you to sin. If, if you can't escape it, then endure it. Stand firm. Be faithful to God. Do right no matter what the cost. Emulate Jesus who continued to speak the truth and love His enemies while it took Him to a cross. Finally, entrust yourself to God. And God, I know You see this. I know You're with me and I know one day You're going to make it all right. So I'm putting this suffering I'm going through right now in your hands. Help me to remain faithful. I also sum some of this up with the phrase, how to be good when you're in a world of hurt. How to be good when you're in a world of hurt. I chose that word good because in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, which Daniel preached last week, Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, Live such good lives among the pagans that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He wants us to live good lives here. So I turned good into an acronym. All right? Good. G. If we're going to endure in this painful wilderness world, the G is we have to be God-focused in everything we go through. Joe White, a man who wrote a devotional our family goes through at dinner for teens, he defined faith like this. Father, all in thy hands. Father. It's, it's that faith in God that's going to keep us enduring. And, and I saw it in this passage. You see all these places that are highlighted? Ten times in these 12 verses, it talks about getting fixated on God. I'll just hit him real quick. Be subject for the Lord's sake to governors as sent by him. For this is the will of God. Living as servants of God. Fear God. Mindful of God. In the sight of God. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The shepherd and overseer of your souls. Ten times he said, lock your eyes on God. Because that is the only way we're going to endure suffering in this world. It's the only way. God focused. The first, oh, others focused. Part of what Peter's getting at here is our Christ-like behavior, even when it is so hard to act like Christ because I really want to shred this person right now. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. 
others focused because why our Christ-like behavior in that difficult situation may be the very thing God uses to bring that person to Christ. Anybody can retaliate. And you say, I got every reason to do it. Anybody can threaten. You say, I got every natural reason to do it. Anybody can get revenge. I've got every natural reason to do it. But listen, last time I checked, Jesus did not call his followers to live a natural life. He called us to live supernaturally. His power and the power of the Spirit. You, you see this other focus in that verse I just read, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. They, they look at how you walk through that valley of suffering, maybe even inflicted at their hands, and say, wow, whatever God they worship, I want that God. So I've never met anybody that walked through a trial like this. I, I need that God. So let's say you've got a boss who's a jerk. Theoretically. It's totally natural joining the gossip and bad attitudes and the eye-rolling. Totally natural to cause dissension in the ranks. Totally natural to do the bare minimum. Let me ask you this. What if instead you worked with a good attitude as to God? What if you greeted your boss with a friendly greeting every morning? Not because you like or admire him, but because you love God. What if you gave your all in every task you performed because you know it's ultimately for God? Which of those two approaches is more likely to point that person to Jesus. Scott McKnight said it this way, he said, the way of suffering is the divinely intended manner of bringing the greatest victory of God into the world. What really works is what works with God. And what works with God is the cross. While we may be considered fools and conquered in the world's eyes, we are considered victors with God. God focused, others focused, Order focused. Like it or not, God has established order in His world. And it involves submitting to authorities. We are free in Christ, but we are free to serve. What does this mean? Anarchy should never, ever be embraced by a Bible-believing Christian. Because ultimately it is an assault on the God who established authority and is the ultimate authority. And we can speak up against wrong, but as we do so, we must do so with honor for our leaders. We also obey our leaders unless and until they require us to do something unbiblical. Order focused. And finally, destiny focused. Where is this all heading? I, I think about what Peter wrote about in 1 Peter 1.4. For the believer, we have an inheritance coming that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And despite the, the title of a wildly popular book years ago, Christians do not live their best life now. Our best life is in the future. Uh, yes, we have the joy and power of Christ in relationship with Him right now. 
But this is just a taste of what's coming in the future. And it's when we realize that that we're able to keep on keeping on in the middle of the pain and hurt and suffering. It's a flash in the pan compared to eternity. Don't lose your focus here. Be God-focused, others-focused, order-focused, and destiny-focused because that will help you endure whatever you're walking through right now. I, I think about it like this. When we were in Ohio... It was hard to do outside stuff because this wet stuff falls out of the sky unexpectedly. (laughs) Rain, I think they call it. In fact, I talked to a pastor friend who went to Moody, was on the same floor where I was when I was there. They've been meeting outside for, for eight weeks, and he said, it's amazing. We've had eight weeks without rain on a Sunday. I said, we do that all the time. But but for you guys in Ohio, that was pretty, pretty amazing. But one day we wanted to go to this water park, but there was a 60% chance of storms and, and the place was an hour away and we kept watching the forecast all day and we looked at the place that was an hour away and it looked good. And, but on the road there, man, on the highway, we're driving, uh, Carolyn's dad's driving and it starts dumping rain and, and he looked at the, the boys, our boys were starting to lose hope. And he said, it's raining here, but hopefully that sun's shining up ahead. Why did, why did we not turn around and go back? Because we looked at the forecast of where we were heading, right? Why does the Christian not give up in the middle of his sufferings? Why does he not give in to temptation? Because we know the forecast of where we're heading. It's not 60, 70, 80, 90%. It's 100%. You got that inheritance coming. That is why we keep on pressing on. Romans 8, 17, Paul says, If children, then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. On all those focuses, God-focused, others-focused, order-focused, destiny-focused, you know what's not in there? Me-focused. Me focus. Because the moment we turn our focus here, that's when it's real quick and real easy to get off the rails and say, God, I didn't sign up for this. I'm out. I'm going to do whatever the heck I want because this world stinks. Keep our focus on Him, on others, on His order in our destiny. I want to close with an example of someone who did this. Listen to these words. I thank God that He has given me the love to seek to convert and to adopt as my son the enemy who killed my dear boys. These were the words of Korean pastor Yang Won Soon. The year was 1948. The communists were wreaking havoc and a young communist named Chai Sun killed this pastor's oldest two boys as they stood there begging with the communists to repent and turn to Jesus. When the communists were overthrown and removed and it came time for trial for Chai Sun who killed his boys, this pastor said, drop the charges. I want to adopt Chai Sun as my own. He went on to do just that and Chai Sun went on to give his life to Jesus Christ because of the grace and forgiveness shown by this father who had been robbed 
of his two sons. Now, if you're like me, you hear a story like that and you say, yes, I love that. That's so powerful. You wrestle with, would I do the same in that moment? And I can almost guarantee you that, that for this pastor, this was not the first time he had chosen to walk in Christ's path. He had, he had surely done it many smaller times that led up to this culmination. So what I want to challenge us to do, we may not be in that situation, but I want to challenge us this week as we go out into this world, onto the, the road on the way home, the grocery store, our homes, our workplaces, all the places where things get grinding. Just know that it's in those small moments where we face that choice. Am I going to retaliate, insult, threaten, return fire with fire, or am I going to walk like Christ? It's in those small choices that we become prepared for the big ones that may come down the road. Let's be ready. Father, thank You so much that Your Word doesn't ignore the reality of this world. It gives us hope for the eternity to come, but it deals just point blank with what's going on around us. It, it lines up so well because this place is messed up. And you, you don't sugarcoat it, but you tell us how to navigate it. And the primary picture we ought to have is, is that example of Christ. We ought to be tracing His life and the power of the Spirit. We ought to be following in His footsteps. First, we have to come to Him to that cross where He died for our sins and then rose again at the empty tomb that we might live to righteousness. If anyone's here today that needs that kind of freedom, maybe they're slaves to the, the world system that requires us as slaves to sin to retaliate and be filled with anger and bitterness to lay that down at the cross and find freedom that puts them above all of that and gives them the ability to live in supernatural ways. Draw them home. Draw us all there, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we sing our song, I want to close with one final quote from Edmund Clowney. When you're in that crucible and it's, it's so tempting to react as the world reacts, listen to this. It is the privilege of those who are sons and daughters of the Most High to imitate the magnificence of their Father's mercy. They rise above simple justice to reflect God's goodness and love. Unthreatened by evil, they can overcome evil with good. And in the midst of suffering, show mercy to those who would show no mercy to them.